1: Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each
2: day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Well, this week signals the home stretch of our prequel miniseries since the Advent Christmas season is about to burst on the scene come December 3rd. It's been a great ride so far, hasn't it? Have you come through November unscathed? Have you been able to ward off the commercialized and merchandised version? The fake news version, as I call it. And friends, I'm certainly not suggesting you don't buy any gifts, only that you exercise care in keeping yourselves from being plagued by and sucked into the commercial game that's played out each year around this time. Today we'll close out this prequel miniseries, Something New Was Brewing on Planet Earth, with Part E, which I'm calling Christmas, God's Search and Rescue Operation during this November stretch friends we've been sitting in the audience so to speak watching as a variety of actors and actresses have stepped onto the stage of the great and wonderful drama we've come to cherish as the Christmas story. We've observed the responses of key characters and participants in this Christmas drama one unlikely actor who is not usually included in the cast is our beloved Apostle Paul. So friends after our introduction to the word and concept of advent in part b we zoomed in on how that first christmas profoundly affected paul he called himself a pharisee and a hebrew of hebrews and even referred to his zealous commitment to the ancestral traditions of his jewish religion in philippians 3 6 as for legalistic righteousness faultless Yet, the entrance into the world of this babe of Bethlehem as the Messiah and Savior of Jews and Gentiles revolutionized and overhauled his entire life. You see, something new was brewing on planet Earth. This new thing that God was doing had such a penetrating effect on Paul that we could easily nickname him the Ambassador of Newness. Paul realized that the first Christmas signaled a season of newness. Yet his specific contribution to the Christmas script is amazingly just two sentences found in his Galatian letter, one a concise doxology and the other a crucial declaration. In Galatians 1, 3 through 5, he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. And in Galatians 4, 4 and 5, he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights as sons. In Part C, Luke was our scriptwriter and casting director, and we were made privy to the angel Gabriel's first contact with Zechariah and Elizabeth, and later with Joseph and Mary. From these two couples, we compared and contrasted their responses to something new that was brewing on planet Earth. In Part D, through Matthew's writing and directing, we were treated to the ultimate star trek. On Matthew's stage, our playbill described the wise men in Herod, and also gave us a glimpse of the Jewish religious leaders, highlighting their responses to something new brewing on planet Earth. Thus far, friends, in each installment in this November series, in one way or another, we've accentuated the newness aspect of the Christmas drama— and particularly for those who were the very first recipients of the message, the message that signaled something new was brewing on planet Earth. Each time we're all been challenged to view the Christmas drama not simply as a past event to celebrate, but rather to extract from the scriptures lessons that extend way beyond the immediacy of the first Christmas story itself. Lessons we can bring forward in time and apply to our lives in the here and now, some 2,000 years later. Lessons that include... Recognizing that we now have new life in Christ. And Christmas should remind us that we are celebrating, among other things, this newness. And recognizing that the actors and actresses in the original drama were real people. Movies and paintings, unfortunately, often glamorize these characters. They're sometimes portrayed as people walking around with glowing dishes on their heads, or their bodies radiating with a halo around them. But they were real people with real faith, each on their own spiritual journey, each wrestling with God's plan and God's will in their lives, each confronted with something new that was brewing on planet Earth, each responding in their own way. Friends, do we recognize that in each of our lives, God is constantly working, ending old things and beginning new things, trying to nudge us gently to pull to death old ways and be open to the renewing of our minds and in so doing being open to spiritual transformation and growth. I'm convinced God is definitely not into same old, same old. God is not into dead routines. Recall 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The following quote is a zinger every time I hear it. The difference between tradition and traditionalism is tradition is the living faith of those now dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of those now living. Ooh, friends, 2024 is almost here. The message of Advent and Christmas is one of expectation, anticipation, longing, and fulfillment. Let me say, friends, with what's been going on in the last few years, in and for the church, "'The body of Christ, I fear God's been attempting to nudge the church into something new, "'calling us to function differently, calling us to make some changes. "'But my fear is that we're not really listening to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. "'It seems to me that we're just longing for things to go back to the way they once were. "'After all, isn't that where we're most comfortable? "'Where we feel more safe? "'Well, shame on us!' changes too unsettling, too disrupting. Friends, some essential questions Advent cries out to ask are, are we responding like Joseph? Remember, Joseph was the one who accepted new direction, new leading from God. Joseph's response to the new move of God in his life is recorded in Matthew one twenty four, And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel commanded him and took Mary as his wife. Are we responding like the chief priests? Remember, they were indifferent to new direction, new leading, a new move of God. Their non-response is found in Matthew 2, 3-6. When they quoted Micah 5, 2, but didn't go to see the newborn king. Or are we responding like Herod? Remember, Herod rebelled against and rejected the new move of God. Herod's response to God's new move is found in Matthew 2.16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Are we as paranoid and insecure as Herod? Do we lack faith and vision to see a move of God when it comes? Must we have control over the church? When Jesus said, I will build my church. In saying that, Jesus meant he would not be building our church. In saying that, Jesus meant that we would not be building his church. So, are we responding like Zechariah? As a spiritually seasoned leader, Zechariah still lacked faith and vision for a new move of God. Remember the angel Gabriel's judgment against Zechariah, found in Luke one nineteen and 20? I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Friends, is the Spirit speaking to our churches, bringing fresh news, a new way of doing church, and we don't have ears to hear, and therefore are not believing his words? Or how about, are we responding like Mary and the wise men? Mary's response to the new move of God in her life is recorded in Luke 138 after the angel Gabriel delivered the news she responded I am the Lord's servant may it be to me as you have said and the wise men's response to the new move of God is recorded in Matthew 2: 1 through3 after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked where is the the one who has been born king of the jews we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him these pagan astrologers thirsted for more information thirsted for more guidance what about us are we thirsting for more information more guidance Well, friends, in today's finale, Part E, we'll peer through the eyes of the Apostle John in his gospel and view the Christmas drama from his vantage point. To do this, we must sample several statements in chapters 1 and 3. So let's listen as John's script unfolds. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is John's Christmas story in one sentence, friends. Jesus replied to Nicodemus, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. "'Jesus answered, "'Very truly I tell you, "'no one can enter the kingdom of God "'unless they are born of water and the Spirit. "'For God so loved the world "'that he gave his one and only Son "'that whoever is believing in him "'shall not perish but have eternal life. "'For God did not send his Son into the world "'to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. "'This is the verdict.' light has come into the world but people loved darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Friends, the Christmas story we all cherish so dearly is tolerated by people in the world because they've simply chosen to relegate it to history past. They're all merely celebrating event that occurred some 2,000 years ago and they're content to leave it there in the past. By relegating the Christmas story to the past it remains at a safe distance distance this way it can be celebrated and at the same time its implications for the present and future life become non-existent and in the process accountability to the revelation of the christmas truth becomes null and void well let's pause here a moment you're listening to a word from the word with me your host pastor tom I value you as listeners because a word from the word is listener funded your financial partnership is vital in keeping this program on the air which also disciples Christians without a church home and you who may have been hurt by the institutional church please join forces with me and a word from the word by emailing me for support details at a word from the word at minister.com we're living in challenging financial times and ministries are not immediately A word from the word is seeking to become fully funded and monthly supporters are still needed. We'll repeat this information at the end of today's program. Well, friends, people in the world tend to overlook one fact. And if we're not careful, we Christians just might overlook the same fact. And that fact is this. The Christmas story is not merely a historical truth. The historicity of Christmas is only half of the equation. The other half is the fact that the Christmas story is also a spiritual truth. In other words, a theological truth. Thank <laughs> you. You see, friends, intertwined in and inseparable from the Christmas story is the reason for the season. Back in the late 1980s and early 1990s, Christian retailers and merchandisers popularized the slogan Jesus is the reason for the season. That's an okay slogan. It's true and it has a catchy ring to it. But there is a more important truth that is somewhat obscured by that slogan, so overlooked by the those mainstream secular Christmas carols? So I'll submit to you that sin is the reason for the season. What, Pastor Tom? Yes, friends, sin is precisely the half of the Christmas equation that the world consciously avoids, even obscures and rejects, because sin is directly tied to the spiritual or theological truth of the Christmas story. And yes, friends, sin is the reason for the season— The well-known Christmas carol, O Holy Night, sums it up best. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. You see, friends, the Christmas story is made incomplete and rendered powerless unless both halves of the equation are understood and preached, the historical truth and the spiritual or theological truth. Just listen to how the theological truth is intertwined in each installment in our Advent Christmas prequel, Galatians 4, 4, and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, representing the historical truth, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights as sons. This is the theological truth. Galatians 1.4 reinforces that Jesus came to rescue us from this present evil age, declaring the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Which is reiterated in Colossians one thirteen. It's almost as if we could say that Christmas was a search and rescue operation conceived by God Himself to redeem us sinners. Then Luke intertwines this theological truth in the familiar words of Luke 2.11, told to the shepherds by the announcing angel, For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And remember, Christ the Lord was heard as Messiah Yahweh, in other words, Messiah God. Then Matthew intertwines this theological truth in the well-known verse of Matthew 121, also announced by an angel, And she, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins." Remember, the name Jesus means God saves. And lastly, the Gospel of John is written primarily from the perspective of the theological ramifications of the coming of Jesus into the world. First, listen to these verses in John 1. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Second, listen to these verses in John 3, where Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, "...very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again." Followed by, "...very truly I tell you, Nicodemus, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again." Friends, the kingdom of God is here, working surreptitiously, that is, secretly, or here in a way that avoided notice or attention. We could almost say it has come by stealth, clandestinely or covertly, yet in its full bloom alongside the kingdom of the world. Both exist now side by side. That's why I believe Jesus could say to Nicodemus, Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God or enter it. Friends, Christmas not only signaled a season of newness, it signaled the kingdom of God coming nearer than it had ever been before. The kingdom coming in the first century was God's way of telling us that something new was brewing on planet Earth. The kingdom coming was how God instituted his search and rescue operation by inviting sinners to become part of and enter the kingdom of God. Friends, the Gospel of John unequivocally presents God's universal invitation and challenges us onlookers of this great and wonderful christmas drama to be born again born again into the kingdom of god and in so doing renouncing the kingdom of the world See, friends, up till now, we've been spectators watching the Christmas drama unfold before our eyes, observing others' responses, those who were the first recipients of the message. In this November prequel, the challenge has been to bring the Christmas story's lessons forward in time and apply them to our lives right here, right now. But to do that, we must preserve the theological half of the equation so it's not torn away. This is why John's gospel boldly declares, This is the verdict, light has come into the world. But people loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Friends, amazingly, the message Christmas proclaims is really, You must be born again. After all, doesn't the Christmas carol, hark the herald angels sing, preach this? Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. The same carol then says, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Other Christmas carols reinforce this message. For example, come thou long expected Jesus says, come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. And born thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. So, friends, the message of Christmas becomes to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave their right to become children of God. The popular Christmas carol, Joy to the World, declares... Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're at the end of our program, and a few critical questions remain that the Christmas story begs us to ask. Now that the Lord came to earth, have we received him as our king? Now that the long-expected Jesus finally came, have we been set free from our fears and sins, released from them, and found rest or peace in Jesus as our Savior? Since he was born to raise the sons and daughters of earth, born to give us second birth, have we truly been born again? Friends, in the temple, Simeon declared this over Jesus. My eyes have seen your salvation, God, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Have our eyes seen God's salvation? Have we seen the light of God's revelation in his son, Jesus Christ, born to deliver his people, born a child and yet a king? Is Jesus truly king of our lives? Is he ruling and reigning in us? Some provocative questions to posthumously. friends, Well, our broadcast will close with an email where you may share your feedback as well as inquire about how to help fund A Word from the Word, which is listener funded. During these financially challenging times, ministries are not immune, so please consider coming on board and joining our support team. A Word from the Word is seeking to become fully funded, and monthly partners are still needed. If these teachings are inspiring you to grow and study God's word more carefully, please invest in our mission, which includes sharing the gospel, discipling those of you who are without a church home, and or those of you who've been hurt by the institutional church. I love coming alongside all of you. Podcasts are freely available at faithtalk1360.com Just search the menu for local program podcasts, or go to Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, and thanks to my friends and partners at ChristianBody.net, A Word from the Word is broadcast in over 70 countries. We desire to end this year in the black, so please consider a one-time contribution or become a monthly partner before 2023 closes out. Well, thanks for listening today, friends, and remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with A Word from the Word. friends, if you would like
1: to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com